Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The historic games at Spurs are done. We'll be sharing our thoughts on our experiences in London. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. The Panthers pounced early on a poor Winston performance. We'll be enjoying, sorry, chatting over all of the week six highlights. We'll no doubt be talking about the match officials as we give out our weekly awards and hear your thoughts on who should win what. It's then on to week seven as the season is really starting to take shape and as ever finish up with some of the latest news hitting the league. To kick off, we'll look back at the London games and to give his thoughts is our very own Charles Patterson who was on the field for the first game. Good evening. Charles, welcome along. You should have been on the field for the second game at quarterback for the Bucks, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get more cheap shots in about that later. Um, first of all, I mean, from from a working perspective, the Spurs stadium looked quite amazing. It was sensational. It was quite easily the best stadium I've ever worked in. And you know, having covered football matches and, and rugby matches and, and all sorts over the years in various countries, it was absolutely mind-blowing. It was the shiniest piece of kit I think I've ever seen, frankly. Um, and you did feel like you were in America. I'm not sure what it felt like from the stands, but it, it felt so regimented and organized, both in terms of accreditation, um, security. I've never been in an event. There has been so much security and passes. If you didn't have the right number on your pass, you weren't getting anywhere. The I was told, actually, by a lot of people behind the scenes that that was partly to do with Tottenham being slightly fearful of like, something might go wrong with that first game um, when the Raiders and the Bears were meeting. But um, it all seemed to go like clockwork. And you did feel the razzmatazz as well, of course, during the game. But behind the scenes, it was it was absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, Paul, you went and did the, the stadium tour, I think, uh, yes, on, I the, did. on the Monday. So you'll have seen some of what we saw. But uh, essentially, uh, it was a struggle for me to actually get into the stadium on the Sunday morning, actually, um, because of the, <laughs> the accreditation and the security and the scanners and whatnot. But once you were down pitch side um, it, it, and looking up into the gods, it was, it was superb. Difficult to appreciate, um, if you've watched Tottenham playing football on that pitch, that there's about a five-foot drop to the actual NFL playing surface, which which is stored under the football pitch, and what they do, you might have our listeners might have seen some of the the videos on social media about how they store the football pitch underneath one end of the stadium, and they put it away on three trays. The American journalists who were over for the week were absolutely astounded by that. Um, uh, I think it's, it's Stacy from the NB, from NBC, uh, or sorry, the NFL Network, I should say, who we, we were dealing with over the kind of Friday and Saturday, Sunday. She took a video of it and posted it on her social media account as because they got in some of the NFL Network folk in underneath the stand to see where the pitch was stored. So you don't actually appreciate until you get down that there is quite a drop, um, but it's perfect for the sight lines, of course, for all the, the supporters. So that was quite interesting. The pitch was... You know, as you would expect, everything was marked up to the T. I've I've never been a, a pitch side at a, at a football match or a rugby match or any kind of uh, event where there have been so many camera crews trackside. Um, it was extremely difficult to get trackside uh, on game day, but then just the vibe was was fabulous, and everyone you spoke to was was enthusing about it, and not just the looks, but the feel, the lights, the 
the whole the whole experience. And then to top it all, when we got into the press box and the game was underway, I realised that there was a commentary being piped into the press box, which I'd never experienced before. And I tell you what, we could do with that in Scottish football. That would be <laughs> well, magnificent. Well, well, hang on. Uh, it depends who's commentating. Let's well, be <laughs> that's true. But um, I mean, it was obviously a few perhaps uneducated people sitting in the press box, and they were getting everything fed to them. And of course, you have the statistics, which I know, Cameron, you got when you were out in Cleveland, sent to you after the first quarter and at halftime. They all came to you on a plate. Um, so it was, I mean, the working experience was phenomenal, but I have never been anywhere where there has, it has been so difficult to get about. It was what, quite amazing. What I found <laughs> interesting, Charles, was when I, when I was doing the tour, they obviously still had just about all the accreditation boards up. Yeah. And you could see the number of passes was phenomenal. Colour coding, ah. the numbers, the access areas. Um, and now, I, I know you, Charles, you've blagged your way into a few stadiums and blagged Indeed. a few areas that you shouldn't have been in. I'm betting because I, I took one look at that and thought, I wouldn't be able to blag my way anywhere here. You can't, you can't blag anywhere. And actually, there was a bit, there was a little bit of a mix-up at our end with a, a, a bit of accreditation. And I very newly didn't actually get into the press box before the start of the game. And somebody from uh, NFL HQ in New York had to get us in to the press box. Um, which, and given that Sky Sports, of course, uh, you know, the, the host broadcasters in the UK for the game, that was a bit of a surprise. Um, and. Ultimately, it just shows how big a deal it is. Now, interestingly, covering the Raiders and the Bears in the days leading up to the game, we were out at the uh, the Raiders media access on uh, Thursday, Friday, uh, out at the Grove Hotel um, in Watford, and we were at the Bears training on the Friday at uh, when they, they were training at the Saracens rugby ground. And it was very interesting to see the two contrasting experiences there, where the, the Raiders was very, very organised, um, Again, a lot of security, but it was it was structured. So there was a 15-minute session where you could film the players doing a bit of warm-up and listening to John Gruden's London playlist, which was uh, which was interesting because he was uh, pumping out all the uh, all the British music tunes, all the all the um, the uh, the Who and the Clash, and um, it clearly worked, of course, because the Raiders went on to win the game. So they were getting into the London spirit, and then the Chicago Bears was. A totally different experience because we got to to Saracens and we sat around for about two and a half hours while the the Bears trained. We got five minutes of shots of them training, but right up close. And I think um, Cameron may well have put a picture on uh, on the on the Twitter account of Khalil Max staring at me as he got warmed up, and he was literally as close to to you as I am to my iPad right now. Um, he was right in front of you, and he was he's a big boy. But then the, you, you sat about and you waited and it was totally unstructured once they let you down onto the pitch. You could just grab who you wanted. And Matt Nagy was engulfed in this massive huddle of about 30 camera crews and reporters. So it was quite an eye-opener to see that different teams do things in different ways. But anywhere you go, there's just this mad throng of journalists and camera crews and and, and technicians and it was the same on Sunday at the match. And it was it was quite an eye-opener. It was certainly one of the biggest events, most spectacular events that I've been to. And I would um, I would certainly be, be keen to go and do it again at some point. But the, the stadium is phenomenal. And if you're a Tottenham Hotspur fan, you're a very, very lucky person indeed to go and watch them playing in that stadium, apart from the fact that the team are not doing very well, of course, at the moment. So, uh, But that's listen, you get to go and sit in a shiny you see it and watch it. Interestingly, speaking to a few people who maybe complained about the seating arrangements, of course, it is a football stadium. But in the press box, nicest press box I've ever been in, so can't complain there. But then 
we members of the media usually get it a bit better than the average punters, don't we? <laughs> well, that's usually the case. I mean, I, I did the tour, so mm. I have to. I did the second ever tour of the the Spurs Stadium from an NFL perspective. Now, there's good and bad to this. It was forty quid. Yeah, that's not w- good, is it? Was it worth forty quid? No, it wasn't. I'll tell you, the staff were brilliant. I'm not going to knock the staff. They were great in the way they took us round and things. I just thought it felt very unstructured that, you know, we went up and down and round. And actually, I thought we missed out so much. It was an NFL tour. So even though you're walking around the lower lower bowl, if you like, um, you never got to see the Spurs dressing room or the away dressing room. You didn't get to see the away NFL dressing room. Now, even if you you know you've got the doors open with a rope across that all you can do is look inside and they only let you into one that would be fine but i i thought it was really naff that you had to go on the football tour the soccer tour if you wanted to see the spurs dressing room we had two german guys on the nfl tour who were football fans not nfl fans they were not impressed having paid 40 quid each and they couldn't even see the home dressing room Mm. i think you should have seen all the dressing rooms they showed you you know the press areas they didn't actually take you physically into the press box again i thought that was a miss they didn't make i think a lot of the hospitality areas again i thought that was a miss there was some nice things and they pointed stuff out but we were up and down lifts a few times it was just a little bit it needs to be better organized i think 40 pounds is a lot of money for any tour frankly having been to tours and football stadiums in, in europe i think that's that's a, that's a that's a serious amount of money to spend and you want to get your money's worth um but i i think if for those people who've who got the chance to go to the game um or, or maybe more pertinently, those who haven't had the chance to go to a game at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, never fear. There will be there'll be games there next year and the year after that. And it is the the, the biggest hurdle I think ultimately is going to be what they do about people getting in and out because yes. of where the stadium is situated. Because that is more important than anything else. The actual stadium itself and the experience. Everyone that I've spoken to could not have talked highly enough of, about about the experience. Um, and it's it is it's a unique event. We have to keep. I think we have to remind ourselves that we're very lucky that we've got four games in the UK at all at regular season games. These are hot, hot, hot tickets. And um, I I was outside the stadium from about four hours before kickoff that Sunday when the Bears and the Raiders met, and there were people milling around from about one o'clock, and it was a six o'clock kickoff. So they clearly wanted to be in the vicinity to feel the buzz, and it was terrific. But it's it's such a hot ticket that I can't see any way that it's going to fail. And the most interesting thing that came out of the, the two games for me was what Roger Goodell said when he spoke to my colleague Richard Graves when, um, just before the, the, the kickoff of the Raiders-Bears game. And he said that this has brought the prospect of a franchise in London a lot further down the track. So I think that says it all, really. And we'll see what happens in the coming, in the, in the next kind of couple of years, obviously, the collective bargaining agreement when it's all signed and sealed that'll there'll be a lot of talk in the lead up to that and that could well be part of the talk and part of the chat and who knows but it, it's i think any for everyone who's been connected with the two games have looked on it as a real as a real success a mega success 
Yeah, I think just to jump in on there and a point that you made, Charles, was about the transport. And having had the luxury of being able to go to two of the games, I was in the situation where I was able to learn from the first one. And I think it's a really important thing to be able to do. You you need to be able to go to the game, figure out what works and what doesn't. You know, it took us two hours to get on the train. That was partly down to bad planning and bad decision making on my part. Uh, second time around, we had arranged to meet people just outside our section after the game. However, it was very obvious, very early coming out of the game, that there was a bit of a mad rush at the end. So we made a decision, do you know what, let's not get caught out again. Let's head away, go with the flow. Uh, and we're on a train pretty quickly. We were back in London. We were in the Hippodrome about half past six. So we missed 30 minutes of red zone and not a minute more, which was great. and meant that we were able to see most of those games. The couple of negatives, I think, for me, and it's interesting because it's happening with both the tour and with the prices in the stadium, that things seem to be more expensive for the NFL than it is for the football. So the football tour is 30 quid, the NFL one is 40. The price for a pint was about £5, and it was 6 to 6.50 at the NFL. Sorry, it's £5 for the Spurs games. 6 to 6.50 for NFL. Now, reading more, it, it seems like there's a deal that Tottenham get all of the proceeds from the food and drink. So I wonder whether the NFL have put on a bit of a levy to make sure that they're getting something from that out of the game. Uh, so, you know, I was drinking neck oil on the day, which is great, incidentally, to have a, a good quality beer like that available inside a stadium. Brilliant, but it was five pound for a pint um, during a uh, Tottenham game. Six fifty for Spurs. Oh, totally screwed that up. Right, five pound for Spurs. Six fifty <laughs> for the NFL. I've clearly had too much today as well. I'm blaming it on this cold. Um, yes, of so, course. So yes, I, but I think for the I most think, part, I think, I think you're right. I think there is a deal there. I think there probably is, and that's probably part of the arrangement that Tottenham had with the NFL. We don't know the ins and outs of the of the contracts, and but you, it would be surprising to me if. If Tottenham are not getting, you know, the full proceeds, and the NFL have got obviously thought, well, we need to take our cut. Maybe they think that, maybe they've not realised that we're about to hit Brexit, and actually people are not going to have any money to spend on beer. Maybe this time next year, who knows? But the other interesting thing, I don't know if you went into the shop. The NFL, the Tottenham Hotspur shop, was completely taken over that week, uh, that whole week, and 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 both weekends by the NFL. We did a piece. Um, on the on the afternoon of the game in the shop, and you couldn't buy Spurs gear apart from one rail of Harry Kane shirts. That was it. The whole thing was just completely taken over by all thirty-two teams, and it was like Christmas in a candy store, really. So you it was it, the commitment has been fantastic. I think. That yeah, I, I I think we've got to give credit to the NFL UK and all who work at NFL UK because they've done a hell of a job over the years building this up to be what it is. And and when we talk about you know drink being a pound dealer and and the transport not being quite right, these are these are things that they can sort and solve with with the feedback. I think Transport for London need to get the finger out and get more trains on and get people in and out the area an awful lot quicker. Because unlike Spurs games, there's not that really that local populace going to them you know just about everybody there is traveling so i think that's something that they've got to look at but but a big shout to nfl uk i think they've done a done a great job and just on the subject of harry kane i mean he's a really nice guy 
Um, you know, but I, I'm getting a little little sick of Harry Kane's an NFL fan. We kind of got that. All through he's the a after- Patriots fan. Ugh, well, he's an NFL fan. Yeah. But every, every time when, you know, me, me and the guys I were with, every time something came up, you know, that was mentioned on the big screen or, you know, you were inside with the big screens and stuff, our thing was, yeah, Harry Kane built that. Harry Kane installed that. Harry Kane put that escalator in. You know, that that was him that, that, that did that. Harry Kane did those seats just in that, you know. So, yeah, I, th- I think we can live without the Harry Kane stuff. Yeah, well, we learned this week that uh, Eric Dyer, his Tottenham teammate, is an Eagles fan. So there's someone who's a little bit more taste, I think. Bit, bit grittier, isn't he? Bit grittier. Yes. That's for sure. But can we get to the main event? Yes, absolutely. Of course, Jameis Winston, who is such a versatile player, as I tweeted out, he can throw interceptions anywhere. Mm. Even from the well, very first throw. Oh, now, I'm, I'm taking the mickey, but I mean, if you're a Bucks fan, your heart sinks. You, you, it does on the opening play. You know, you're there to see your team. It's a, you know, Carolina team that you, you know, you could beat and bang, interception straight away. And it just, it does make your heart sink. It's a Carolina team that they already did beat. You know, they yeah. already had the, the, the way to do it. Uh, and it was interesting to see they still managed to restrict McCaffrey to yards. They couldn't stop him scoring two touchdowns, his second of which was a thing of beauty. But it was just, it set the tone right away, and it felt like the heads from the Buccaneers was down. Uh, it was disappointing, the fans went quiet, and it was like the week before that was very much a Bears home game. This was a Panthers home game. There was an awful lot more Panthers to Buccaneers. I would say at least five to one. Uh, and people can jump on and tell me I'm wrong. But from just looking around, it felt like at least five Panthers fan for every one Buccaneer. So this was like a home game. Certainly we were surrounded by them. And from the very start of the game, they had something to cheer about. It certainly looked like that from watching it on the TV. But um, I think it, was, it looked quite a comfortable win in the end, wasn't it, for, for Carolina? And I think you've got to look at how good they are playing. They, are, they lead the lead in sacks, by the way. They have got a seriously good defence, and Kyle Allen appears to be quite comfortable. So I don't think it was a surprise in any shape or form that they won the game. Um, and the fact that Tampa got as many points as they did is perhaps the surprise, even though he chucked all those interceptions, Wayne's Winston. And you do wonder now what Arians is thinking in terms of whether he's maybe bitten off more than he can chew there. Yeah, I mean, if you go back, I just... That interception reminded me of the game in, in 2009. I think it was Josh Johnson who threw an interception almost immediately, just after, you know, they'd almost, they'd started reasonably well. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the Patriots got a 14-0 lead and that wasn't a, a contest. Interesting that uh, Bruce Arians on on his quarterback, incompletions don't get you beat, sacks and sack fumbles get you beat. And I think he's right. I mean, that was just the fourth 400-yard five-intersection game in NFL history. I mean, <laughs> Dan Marino did it. I mean, he was a gunslinger. David Woodley and Mark Brunel also. So, I mean, it was a bit of history, but it was history for the wrong reasons. I always want these games to be competitive because you're going to see a game. And despite the scoreline, it, it wasn't a competitive game at all. No, both games have there's been a lot of points in both games. I mean, the, the, the Raiders Bears game was tight, gritty. It wasn't the greatest game in the world to watch, but you never really knew who was going to come out on top until the very end. And then yeah. the fans who've gone along to watch the game last weekend have seen a lot of points. So I don't think you can sniff at the two games in terms of their their quality and their entertainment factor at all, can you? 
So these games were a little bit more of a contest. If you compare some of the games like the Jags versus the Ravens, which was an absolute blowout. You know, we've had some games in the UK over the years that have felt like, you know what, you could leave at the end of the third quarter and you weren't missing anything. Whereas both of these were at least relevant right into the fourth quarter. I mean, it, it felt like a stretch for the Bucks to come back. But, you know, as much as uh, Winston was throwing uh, interceptions, he was throwing a whole bunch of yards as well. So we've got to say it's plus side on that side of things. Absolutely. I mean, Jameis Winston was being Jameis Winston. I mean, that that's his M.O., all I, I mean, when I, when we go to the games, all you want is, you know, with five minutes to go, is the is the outcome still in doubt? So when you go to a baseball match, you know, bottom of the ninth, you want the home team with a wee chance to come in and win it. You know, like you just because we don't get many of these games, you do want them to be good. Statistics will tell you they can't all be good. That's just the way it is. So let's move on then, and let's start looking at some of the other headlines then from an action-packed week six. Anything taking your fancies, Paul? First of all, with you. Yeah, I've I've got a list here. So it says real deal, questionable, could be an imposters. So rather than go through necessarily all the games, I'm going to chuck out some of the teams and you, you can see where, where you think. Now, I'm going to start with the imposters. I think the imposters in the league at the moment are the Cowboys and the Chargers. They should both be better than they are. The Cowboys have beaten three rubbish teams and lost to three teams. I think at the moment, they're imposters. And the Chargers as well just keep oh, doing daft things. The Chargers had such high hopes for them this year. Now, my could-bes, the Panthers, the Bills, the Colts, the Vikings, and the Lions, depending on referees. Uh-huh. Uh, my question... <laughs> Can I have a go? My We're going to quest- get to that one. We will, we will. My questionable teams are the Rams, for bad reasons, the Chiefs, because they're going backwards, and the Ravens, simply because I'm not quite sure what they are, and my real deal teams, the ones that have impressed me the most so far, I'm going to go with the Seahawks, the 49ers, the Texans, the Patriots, and no surprise, the Saints. It's hard to argue with any of those. I'll kick off with that. Um, I think the only other real deal that I will put in there in spite of their major assisted and asterisked victory um, on Monday night against the Lions, are Green Bay. I think that Green Bay have looked really impressive, going to Dallas and winning uh, all on Aaron Jones and then coming up against the Lions and Aaron Jones didn't have a good game. They didn't need them. They brought in some guy off the bench who had an amazing catch and Rodgers managed to find him. I think that the, I agree with your list completely. I think that the only the only team missing there are the Packers, who I think that assist aside are very much the real deal. The the other team I had that I'm not quite sure where to place because I don't know. Again, I've not made my mind up, and I, I don't know. I mean, I put the teams in the questionable ones, the ones that I thought should be good. The, another could be is potentially the Eagles. I'm not sure what the Eagles are at the moment, and it'll be interesting to see the next up against the Cowboys. Big game that might tell us a bit more. Charles, as a Packers fan, are you happy with the season start? Do you think the Packers are a real deal? And this is obviously going to segue into a referee chat. Cameron, I, Cameron before, you, before you speak, Charles, sorry, my hands are in your face. I'll just move them slightly further back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's um, there's no doubt that it probably should be 4-2 and two, not 5-1 and one, uh, that they're sitting at this morning. But, listen, I think 
Um, it was interesting listening to your list there, Paul. You left Green Bay out of the list. I don't know whether, <laughs> I don't know whether that was deliberate, just to kind of stir the pot a bit. Um, it was. I think um, I, I think if you look at the, the way in which things have panned out at the moment over the course of the first six games, of course, you know the joke is aside that Aaron Rodgers is, a, you know, as you've mentioned more than once in the last couple of weeks, the only player coach in the league. <laughs> now, the I think what I think Greg Rosenthal said when he was over, he says um, the, the 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 America's favourite buddy common, common, comedy of the season so far is Matt Lafleur and Aaron Rodgers arguing on the sideline, and you've seen it quite a lot. We saw a lot in Dallas, even though they were doing so well. There wasn't as much of that on Monday night. Um, but he doesn't look very happy, Mr. Rogers, and yet they're five and one. I'm not entirely sure what's going on in the background there. But you, when when you look at good teams, good teams win games that they don't deserve to win, and quite often by bad playing teams, thirteen players. Well, yeah, thirteen players are having having random officiating. I mean, Green Bay have been Green Bay have have been on the receiving end of some pretty stinky calls in recent years as well, and on a number of different occasions. I think every team in the league has got, especially the Saints, of course, have got <laughs> um, many 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 a grievance that you could chuck out there. I mean, all the chat last year about the Rams being guided to the Super Bowl. Well, they're not being guided there this year. Uh, and that's partly through their own volition. Um, but I, I think if you look at the record five and one for Green Bay, the best thing about it for me is the fact they're three and zero in the in the NFC North. Last night was really really important. I thought to get that one in because the last three games of the season they have the Bears, the Vikings, and the Lions in weeks 15, 16, 17, and week 16, 17 they're away in Minnesota and away in uh, Detroit. So the fact that they are three and zero in the division, they look great on paper at the moment. I am not hugely convinced by the offense yet I get that Adams is injured Aaron Jones is not in any shape or form proving that he is a top quality running back because to do what he did in Dallas is one thing but then to not essentially to not turn up against Detroit if you want to be regarded as a top player you have to produce the goods week in week out and he's in he's in his third year in the league Jamal Williams outplayed him on Monday night Jamal Williams was excellent and I think the Packers were lucky to have Jamal Williams back on the field after concussion against the Eagles. I don't think they would have won had it not been for him running 100 yards. And, and Rodgers made it made his point quite clear when Jones dropped that touchdown pass um, in the first half. And Jones didn't see a lot of the ball after that. So the, it, it, I like the fact that they are getting it done when they need to, you know, when, when they need to get it done. Um, they restricted the Bears in week one, and they, they beat the Vikings in week two when they perhaps shouldn't have. I think Minnesota should have won that game. And then against the Eagles, they were found out a little bit. So I'm being maybe a little bit harsh here. The best performance of the season was against Dallas, no doubt. But then they did concede 24 points in the in the, in the the second half. And, and so, the question is, how good are Dallas? And we don't well, know. Well, I think we, I think, I think you, you call them imposters. I think you're spot on. The, 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 the one thing I would say about the NFC North this year is it is, in my view, the toughest division in the league. I think I said this back at the start of the season. All all four teams are playoff caliber. I think Detroit were extremely unlucky last night. Um, if, if I was to have a soft spot for any of the other three teams, it would be Detroit because they seem to get the rough end of the stick quite a lot. Um, and they are good enough to get to the playoffs. I don't think they will because of the toughness of the division. The Bears are, are playoff caliber. They've got a, a monster defense when they decide to turn up. 
And Minnesota have got all the pieces apart from the quarterback, who I believe is as streaky as they get. I don't rate Kirk Cousins. I never have done. And I think the only reason he put all those points on, on Philadelphia is because the Eagles' secondary is completely banged up. But the schedule is tough and the, the division is tough. Green Bay have still got to play. They've got to go to Kansas City. They've got to play Carolina. They've got to go to San Francisco. And they've got to go to New York. And that's not going to be an easy one either. So it is tough. It is really tough. And I think for them to be 5-1 at the moment is a dream, if you're a cheesehead, frankly. Um, and the defence is the main reason for that. And you look at the two, the Smiths, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, what a difference they've made. And they are, on as a tandem, they're the best um, pass-rushing tandem in the league. Preston Smith's got seven sacks. Zadarius Smith's got six sacks. And if you look at the team stats... As journalists, we like, you know, all journalists like to look at statistics. Green Bay are not really near the top of any of these team statistics in terms of either offense or defense. But they've got 19 sacks um, or, or already, or, sorry, 18, sack, 18 or 19 sacks in six games. And effectively, that's in five games because they got none against the Eagles. And that, look what happened that night. So I think if they can keep those guys fit, if they can keep the two Smith brothers fit, then they've got a chance. If the if if the if the defense starts faltering, I'm a bit concerned that they might finish 10-6, get a wild card, or even miss out altogether. Because I think 10 and 6 in the NFC might not get in. I think because it's stacked. There's so many teams in the NFC with a chance. Whereas in the AFC, there appears to be maybe two or three outstanding teams and a lot of mediocrity. That's the way I see it at the moment. It says a lot for the NFC North that every single team's differential is in the positives. If it, you know, take away the Lions' draw uh, tie against the Cards week one, if they'd managed to win that, every team would have a winning record. As it stands, the Lions are level. Uh, no team has a losing record. You're right. And we talked a lot uh, in the preseason about the competitiveness of the AFC South, what the AFC North would look like. We wondered whether the AFC West might be competitive. Um, you know, and actually, the the two most competitive leagues at the moment. Well, actually, the NFC East, somehow the Giants are still relevant in this because they're only one game back after six. You've then and the Redskins got... are only two games back. Well, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> which is just absolutely nuts. Um, you look at the NFC South, and it looks like it's going to be a run between the Saints and the Panthers. Christian McCaffrey basically hauling that team to victories. And, and the NFC West, it looks like it's a battle between the Niners and the Seahawks which takes us back to 2012. Um, so there's some really fascinating stories that will be played out in the coming weeks. Um, the, and... NF the NFC, uh, I'm just looking at, at the at the standings at the moment. San Francisco, uh, obviously undefeated. But then you've got Green Bay, New Orleans, Philadelphia, Seattle, and Minnesota, and Carolina, all four and two are better. Um, sorry, Philadelphia are three and three, but they're leading their division. And then you've got Chicago and Dallas and Los Angeles. I mean... There's going to be some good teams not getting in in the mm -hmm. NFC, whereas the AFC, out, out with Baltimore, Kansas City, Houston, and New England, it's they are clear division leaders, all of those, really. And then you've got Buffalo, and no one else is really impressed. So it's going to be tough. If you get into the playoffs in the NFC, you're, you, you've done very well. Um, and I think you've... But you've, they could all just... You could see them all sh shooting each other in the foot. Ultimately, New England waltzing away with the trophy at the end of the day, which is what nobody wants to see, let's be honest. <laughs> oh, well, well, very few people want to see. What I want to see is uh, when the 49ers play the Seahawks, 
I'm going to watch that with Cameron. I'm going to buy him some beer uh, <laughs> because he is so entertaining anytime the Seahawks are anywhere near the television. Um, <laughs> talking of the Seahawks, I mean, a little nod to him. We're not going to go into the, the week six games in great detail, oh. but good win on the road. They're three on the road beginning the season for the first time since 1980 they've won all three of their first three games on the road and I thought I mean it was 32-28 against the Browns I thought they controlled the game for large parts of that game so so they, they are, they're really impressive they were 26 behind and then Baker Mayfield started chucking interceptions left right and centre he's thrown more interceptions than anyone else in the league which I think the, I think it's proved that the Browns are they've got lots of shiny toys but they don't know how to make it work but Russell Wilson in contrast, has not thrown an interception all season. I mean, he's he's got to be an MVP shout, in my view. Oh, absolutely! I have to say, I was not worried when they were twenty points to six down. Mm. I, I just didn't, you know, watching the game, I wasn't overly concerned with the way that that was going. So, I mean, a, a good nod to them. It would be irresponsible of us not to actually give a nod to the San Francisco. Uh, team that was a good win going in against the Rams. Now it was also a Rams team. This is where the league I think is weird, and what that's why I'm saying the Rams are questionable. I didn't put them in imposters. They got thumped to high heaven by Tampa Bay. Um, they decided to turn up a little bit more, but I thought San Francisco controlled that game beautifully. It was well, a- the Rams. The Rams were z- zero for nine on third down. Yeah. So I would say they are imposters at the moment. And then look what they've done. In the last 48 hours, they are, well, they're clearly here to play just now, given their trades, aren't they? Well, they are. I mean, Jalen Ramsey, so they've given up a, a 2020 first round and a 2021 first round. So they're obviously trying to shore things up. I think there's a great little little story coming out. It's because Jalen Ramsey last year in a magazine interview had a real go at Matt Ryan, uh, called him overrated at various things. Who do they play next? <laughs> exactly and Matt Ryan for Very all good. the one and five start of the Falcons is you know so many touchdown passes I think he's leading with touchdown passes he's gone over 300 yards in all the games so far this season and I think if he goes seven straight so if he hits over 300 yards to start a season that'll be the first time a quarterback's done that I think this is really interesting that I, I think Jacksonville they're not a better team without Jalen Ramsey the player they are a better squad without Jalen Ramsey, the person. Which which team has done better out of the trade, I think, is the question. And then when you look at the fact that the Rams have traded away Marcus Peters to the Ravens, who was 18 months ago one of the top four or five corners in the league and has regressed since being in Los Angeles, arguably, yeah. then you, you, look, you look at it and you think, well, are Jacksonville good to just get him out of the building? At the end of the day, the person who's won out of this, or the, 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 the I guess the, the, the Jalen Ramsey's the one that's won. He, he's yes. the winner out of all of this. Los Angeles are going to have to sign him to a massive contract, and you would imagine that they will. Uh, and that would mean that they've got they have Aaron Donald locked up, that they've got Jared Goff locked up. But again, their their problem is not on the defense. Their problem is the offensive line. So that and then they've, they've traded for Austin Corbett from Cleveland, who has been apparently rank rotten for the last two years since he joined them. But they've, they've brought him in as an offensive lineman. But you do wonder whether they're, they're, they're going for the glitz and the glamour players. Yep. But actually, that's not the problem you know, that, they need to, that they need to handle. I, I, think, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how 
how the shine comes off Sean McVeigh. I'm not saying, I mean, that's why I put them in questionable rather than posters, because I think there is talent there and there's coaching talent as well. But I'll tell you what, if they go to Atlanta and don't win, they're three and four, and that I think is hard to come back from in that division. No. They'll be out of they'll be out of the chance to win the division for yeah. sure. You would think it certainly felt like on Sunday it was a case of no girly, no goal threat. Uh, I thought that game going back to for the Niners the the point that the game turned was that stand on the goal line, third and goal, fourth and goal from the one where they just went nowhere, um, and you could see Robert Sala on the side celebrating like I've never seen a defensive coordinator celebrate, and that's brilliant to see. And yeah. that almost, from that point forward, the 49ers just took it up a gear. And the Rams looked beaten. They really looked beaten. I've not been that comfortable watching a 49ers game for a <laughs> very long time. Just to come back to another <laughs> point, though, I will add yep. that uh, even with one minute left in the fourth quarter with the Seahawks 20 points to six down, I still wouldn't be ruling them out. I've done that before. I've made that mistake. But that's me beginning my rant, and I've not had enough beer for that. So, um Yes. No, the, the big question, Cam, is, is is are you now believing that the 49ers will win the NFC West or will you continue to bet against them every week? Ah, so, um, I still think we've had a fairly uh, light... Answer the question. We've had a fairly light schedule so far. The Rams was a first real test and we stepped up to that test. I think we are legit. I think that we are contenders. I think that the Seahawks are as well. And the Seahawks still have that grit, that character that they've had for so long where they just get results. Russell Wilson is having an MVP year. He absolutely is. He's brilliant. He's making plays all over the pitch, and he's single-handedly dragging that team. The fact that they've picked up Jadavian Clowney means that they've got a threat again on defense. With those two players, they can cause disruption. And as long as they can cause disruption, they can win games. And I think that that's a theme that we'll continue to see. The big games will be when they face up against each other. And uh, the, the, the games will be when the first one comes up, which is in just a couple of weeks' time. Between now and then, I think that the Niners face the, the Redskins, the Panthers, and oh, somebody else. I can't remember now off the top of my head. But um, th there's a chance that if we can get past the Panthers and win the other games, we could be going in against the Seahawks 8-0, and which would be phenomenal. So, I think the Panthers are a very dangerous team. I think they're a very, and I think if you're a New Orleans fan, you will be, you will be, you will be relishing when they meet uh, the two. When did when is it the two teams meet? I did write this down somewhere. They meet on the November the twenty fourth, I think, and they meet in week seventeen. So if if you're the Saints and you're you haven't locked the division up in week seventeen, watch out. I think the I, Panthers are great, and you've I know Cam, you've raved about McCaffrey all season and he is the, he's at the moment tied with Russell Wilson as the MVP candidate yeah. so they're very good Carolina and the that, Bucks have been the, again the Bucks have been the only team that have restricted McCaffrey to yards they and again they couldn't stop him scoring the one over the top from a couple of yards out that's just brilliant play by him to go up over the top and keep pushing get the ball across the line superb the second touchdown was everything that he's all about and he just he if he he screamed pass pretty much, out on the side, managed to make space, boom. When he's up to pace, he can get round his defender. And he got round more than one. I think it was guys, three. That, um... Guys, I, I, I hate to rain on your parade, but, <laughs> but as Pope Francis himself came out this week talking about the Saints and how important they are and how victorious they will be, 
I think the division's already done. It's the Saints division. New Orleans Saints. Pope Francis came out and tweeted that. Yeah, he, may, that was... he may have meant something else, but we know really what he meant. So division's ours, boys. Right. He's chucked, he's, he's chucked the Cardinals. As I, <laughs> as, I, as, as I mentioned to you privately, he's, I thought he was a Cardinals fan. <laughs> he's, he's extended upwards. So Talking let's go through... soft schedules, can we quickly yes. touch on the Patriots? I know I hate talking about the Patriots, but have they not had the softest schedule well, in the you... entire league so far? And yes. do are we taking them? We're not, of course, we're taking them seriously. But are we taking this talk of the greatest defense in NFL history at face value, or is it the fact that they've played Pittsburgh, Miami, the New York Jets with no stat, Sam Darnold, Washington, and the Giants in the first six weeks? <laughs> but, but, yeah, but you can only beat what's in front of you, and, and I. And I have been impressed, but if you look at the rest of their schedule, week eight, four for Athletic, week nine, Glasgow City, <laughs> week ten, Spartans. Oh, now, I, I, now, I fully understand that Glasgow City may give them a tougher game than Miami did, but, uh, yeah, it is, for, for a Super Bowl winner, the strength of schedule is baffling, but we know how it's all worked out. It's all, you know... It's all done properly. It's just fallen so gently for them. It's incredible. Right. We need to talk about the weekly awards then before we move on. And we're already running way ahead of ourselves in time. So I'll rattle through some of these quickly and then it's on to week seven. Mark Ingram, he got in touch. His belter of the week is the Seahawks for beating Baker Mayfield. The other two awards, Bowfin and Bobag, Baker Mayfield. Um, Big Al, he says, Belter is McCaffrey, Bowfin is the not-so-famous Jameis, and Bobag has to be the refs again. I will come to the refs, guys, don't worry. And we will touch on that before we move on. Uh, CM Burns, uh, clearly uh, Montgomery Burns uh, <laughs> account, uh, has told us that his Belter is the Bears, even though they're on a bye. Bowfin was Green Bay, and Bobag was Aaron Rodgers. He adds <laughs> that this will be the same every week, regardless of circumstances. So there's a contribution we can look forward to. Right, oh, Andrew dear. Reed says, Belter, the Broncos D, uh, which was great. Bowfin was the refs against the Lions. Bobag, refs against the Lions. Uh, Michael McLeod, he says, the Belter was the Jets. Bowfin was the Tennessee offense. And the Bobag, as he tweeted earlier, the Titans media team for making a big thing about which quarterback plays this week disrespectful to Mariota Denny Ford he says Belter was Deshaun Watson Bowfin was the Cowboys and the Eagles shared and Bobag was Jason High Five Garrett similar Belter from Jeff Hoyger he says Deshaun Watson Bowfin was Baker Mayfield and Bobag was Richard Sherman um, I, th- I can only assume that's the handshake thing, which, yeah, didn't exactly paint them in a great light. Uh, Belter from Chris Breen is Stefan Diggs. Bowfin, Marcus Mariota. Bobag, referees, particularly in Chiefs, Texans, Eagles, Vikings, and Packers line. So not just one game, but three of them. Uh, Gillian McLaughlin, Belter. Can't believe I'm saying this, but McCaffrey, then the Saints D. Bowfin, Falcons, or the Falcons, as she calls them, um, and Bobag <laughs> were the gentlemen's in black and white. Now, I'm going to finish with these last two. Lauren Callahan, Belter, Cameron Hobbs for getting the beers in on Saturday night. Hashtag next one's on Mitchell. Get used to that hashtag, Paul. Bowfin <laughs> is Jameis Winston. Five picks, including one in the first play, and Bobag was the refs. And then Polly who's our resident Buccaneers fan. Honorary Belter goes to Cameron for the beers in London. Hashtag next one's on Mitchell. Belter, Keekly, fair play to the Panthers and the 49ers D, which was awesome. 
Bowfin was the Cowboys losing to the Jets. And Bob Ag was Jameis Winston for not throwing the damn ball away. Fifth-year quarterback making rookie mistakes. Lots of good contributions there. Guys, very quickly, uh, who was your belter of the week? Uh, I'm, gu- I'm giving it to the Texans. I'm not giving it to you for buying beer when I'm not there. <laughs> I- I'm going to give my belter of the week to Alan Lazard, who caught an absolute perler from Aaron Rodgers. We can talk about the officiating all night, but what a pass and what a catch from a guy who'd only caught one pass in the NFL before um, Monday night, and then he caught a wonderful touchdown pass. So a very cheesy belter, but it won them the game. <laughs> Indeed. And my belter is the 49ers D, of course, totally biased, but they were magnificent. Uh, Bowfin then, who gets your Bowfin award this week, Paul? Uh, it's got to be Jameis Winston. I'm not piling on the bucks, but you have got to. I mean, he is not a year one quarterback. I mean, I referenced 2009 and the young quarterbacks they had when they came to Wembley and the struggles they had. He's a year five starter. He should know better. Bowfin. I would say Bowfin this week were, were the da- joint Dallas Cowboys for going pretend being pretenders and you, you've called them completely imposters yes. I would say pretenders is, is just as good a word go to New York and then just stink the place out when they're meant to be as good as they are and for Baker Mayfield for I think he's proving that he's overrated I think at the moment um, and then he needs to sort it out he was he was horrific yeah, Bowfin for me goes to the Titans. That's a, a really disappointing performance and it tips off what has been a disappointing few weeks and I think I'm not surprised to see that Tannehill's in. I'm not convinced he's any better. And guys, can we just agree that the Bob Ag Award this week just goes to the referees from that Lions-Packers game? No, no, not, not, at no, all, no. not at all. I, not at all. I, I, d- I didn't think Charles would agree, but I have a, I have an alternative Bob Ag. So do I. It's it's, a, it's almost a more literal ball bag because you've got to, you've got to look at it. It's for Jim Nance of CBS for standing with his foot up on the desk and standing astride. Oh um, that, dear, that was not a good look. I, I have, have to, to make, say, I think we should make an honourable mention for the uh, the Miami Dolphins offensive coordinator who decided to go for two uh, to win the game and called the worst play ever. <laughs> Possibly the worst two-point conversion attempt in the history of the NFL, and they st- so that this is this begs the question: Are they deliberately trying to tank? Well, that will be the reason why at the end of the year, if they get the number one pick, yeah, who wants to pass the ball forward when you're trying to score? Come on. <laughs> Right, week seven then, gentlemen. And we'll do a quick recap on the pick six, seeing as there's three of us on this one. And Charles, you're kind of back in it just about after that honking week you had a few weeks ago. Um, Dear. Currently in bottom place still with 16. Ian in fifth place with 17. Then it's Gordon in fourth with 18. Myself and Jamie Borthwick tied for second place with 20. Paul, back on top of the pile. A solid week from you, Paul, and 22 points. Can so, I get relegated from this? Oh, I actually post- never thought about this. This is a great <laughs> idea. How to remove people from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to do is, because we've already pushed in 45 minutes on this one, I'm going to go through this week's picks because these are really the main games as well. And I think that we've got six tasty ones that I think could go either way. So we'll start with Paul, then it'll be Charles, then myself. Game one is the four and two Vikings at the two two and one Detroit Lions. Yeah, this this is a real interesting game. I think this is a statement for the Vikings if they can go in and win. Um, if they don't go in and win, then they'll get relegated once more in my magical list. They will go from could be 
to nah, don't somehow think so. This is this is so tough. I'm I'm going to stick with the Lions on this one. I think they've shown enough. They've taken Green Bay close. They've taken Kansas City close. They've got to get a break of the ball and a call or two from the refs. I think. I'm going to go with the Lions on this. Um, I think Kirk Cousins is not going to be able to throw the ball on Detroit like he did on Philadelphia. They're going to have to lead on Dalvin Cook. The Lions' run rush defense is pretty good, and Stafford played great on Monday night. The only question mark over the Lions is can they get the ball into the end zone? They had to, they had five field goals uh, against Green Bay, and that that ultimately killed them. So if Detroit, at, I think Detroit at home and they're playing well, I think they'll have a bit of injustice after Monday night. I think Detroit will beat Minnesota, and I'm certainly hoping that they do. So I'm going for the Vikings in this one. The Vikings coming in on a two-win streak and the Lions on a two-defeat streak. They've just played on the Monday night game. They're going to be disgruntled and annoyed. They're going to feel robbed. That chip on the shoulder doesn't always help you in the next game. And I think that will turn out to be the case. I think that the Vikings have enough. You know, you're talking about Cook there. Obviously, Stephon Diggs turned up this weekend, which was nice to see. If he's still there, there's lots of rumours still that he may get traded, but maybe that'll just focus him in. But I think the Vikings will go on and win this one. Game two, then, is another divisional. The 4-2 Texans at the 3-2 Colts, who come into this on the back of a bye week. You're not making this easy in any way, shape, or form. (laughs) Um, The Chief Slayers. Battle of the (laughs) Chief Slayers is what we'll call this one. (laughs) I really like the Colts, and I would not be upset to see them win this one. I just think the Texans have just got that little bit too much for teams at the moment, so I'm going with the Texans. And that, this is a, this is at Indianapolis. This game, yeah. Yes. Uh, oof, goodness me, the the Texans. Well, they haven't. They've been protecting Deshaun Watson, haven't they? That offensive line is so much better now. I think. I think he's going to struggle to score on Indianapolis. But I think ultimately that they are a better team. I think overall, so I have to go with the Texans on that. I just think that they are a, they are overall a better team than Indianapolis. But I don't think he's going to put up thirty points. No, I agree. I, I, I've got the Texans as well. I think that Deshaun is in brilliant form at the moment, and that offensive line is substantially better. Though the last time we called them out and gave them praise, the next week they stank again. So maybe we'll curse them. Um, the Colts. On the back of that bye, but they're still not quite ticking over right. It'll be interesting to see what they can do. They they game-managed the Chiefs perfectly and did what they needed to do. They stopped the Chiefs from scoring, so they can definitely stop the Texans, like you say, but they got to get those points. And that Texans defense is better than the Chiefs one, in my mind. Therefore, I have the Texans winning this one, even in Indianapolis. Right, game three then. Um, and it's the 2-3-1 and one Cardinals against and at the 2-4 and four Giants. This is the battle of the two top-taken quarterbacks in the 2019 draft. Uh, I'm going with the New York Giants. I mean, I, I thought Arizona did very well to come back, but I'm not convinced. It will also depend if Barkley can get back for the weekend. There's some rumours that he might be a little bit closer than people are actually thinking. Uh, if they get him back on the field, I think that would be enough. So I'm going for the New York football Giants. Mm, I'm going to go the other way. And I think Arizona are going to win that. I think uh, that I think when you look at Kyler Murray, he's going to prove why he's the number one pick over the next few weeks. They're getting into a bit of rhythm now. 
and that was impressive. Uh, uh, Atlanta are honking. They are not a good team. And there's, I think Dan Quinn's on the hot seat. But to score 30-plus points and to come back and win a game like that, I think the Cardinals are in a good place. And they're, they're not a bad team at all. They've improved. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tip them to shock the Giants, although they have to travel three time zones. And I know that teams moan about that. But I think that's my wild card one for the week, I think. <laughs> yeah, so I've got the Giants for this one as well, and I think that Barkley comes back this week. I think that they will put him in, and it's for that reason alone. I think if Barkley's not in this game, the Cardinals will win. I don't think the Giants have enough to outscore this Cardinals team that can score high points when they want to. Uh, but I think Barkley's back, and I think that the Giants go on and get the win. Right, game four is the New Orleans Saints, 5-1, and one, at the 3-2 and two rested Bears. You're... You're going to have to stop putting the Saints in this. It puts me under pressure every single week. Um, and it spoils my enjoyment of watching. Should the Saints lose, as they did to the Rams, I also lose a point here. Anyway, when we're talking about backup quarterbacks, potentially Trubitsky could be back. That That's big for them. But even if he comes back, what sort of state is he in? I think they're a one-sided team at the moment. I think they're a defensive team. The Saints have found a way to win with Teddy Bridgewater, who I've deliberately not tried to make a fuss about on the podcast so far. He has done what you want your number two guy to do. They pay him a lot of money. That money's been well invested because they're winning. And that is why I've got to stay, got to stay with my team, Saints. I think you're right. I think if it's the battle of the backup quarterbacks, I think as you've proved, uh, as they've proved, um, New Orleans have worked out a way to win. And I don't think the Bears, I think the Bears took a step back in London. Chase Daniel doesn't fill anyone with confidence, really. And I guess the only thing is, is it, can the, the, the Chicago Bears defense keep New Orleans down to a low score that they can maybe pull up, pick a turnover? I don't think they can. I think I think uh, New Orleans are going to win that and go six and one. Okay. Does it make any difference to you if there's a chance Trubisky makes it back this week? No, I don't. I don't rate him anyway. I don't rate any other quarterbacks in the NFC North apart from Matthew <laughs> Stafford. So Matthew Stafford, I've got a grudging respect for, but the other two I think are mints. So uh, I think uh, I, I, listen. It's I think it's the Saints for me. They're rolling and they're they're def- they're going to pick. Chase Daniel off if it's him and if it's Trubisky they're definitely going to pick him off <laughs> so I actually have the Bears on this one I think that the Bears rested will be able to turn this around I think there's question marks over Kamara I think if he plays he might not be fit I don't think anyone else Latavius Murray's not the same player and doesn't afford the same threat this losing Kamara is as big as losing McCaffrey is to the Panthers but for Michael Thomas there is no Michael Thomas equal uh, when it comes to the Panthers. So there's going to be a lot of focus on him. The Bears' defense is big enough and nasty enough that they can deal with that. I think they'll deal with Bridgewater, especially in Chicago. I think the Bears win this one. Sorry, Paul. Game five, four and two Ravens against the five and one Seahawks. Battle of the Birds. I think this is going to be a great game. And I think I'm right in saying this is the game that Sky are showing. Um, you know, you would have thought it would have been the Saints-Bears, but I think they're going with the Ravens-Seahawks, if I if I saw that vote correctly. And certainly that will be a great game to watch. 
Russell Wilson against Lamar Jackson. That's the kind of football that that really is a good game. And I'm presuming that's the one that they're going to put coast to coast on uh, on Fox in the late window. I'm going with Seattle. I think they're running. There's you know it takes an exceptional team to beat Seattle at home, and I would like to point out that team this season has to be in the Saints. <laughs> I think it, this this one comes down to who can stop the other quarterback, and who's got the which team's got the better defense. Now, Baltimore have just traded for Marcus Peters. Is that going to make a lot of difference? I'm not sure. It, it, this is a I think this is a toss up. This one, if Lamar Jackson plays to his maximum capability, then Baltimore can win this. Um, I just I think you can't. It's difficult to bet against. I bet it's against Seattle at home when they played the Rams a couple of weeks ago and I got found out. So I'm not doing it this time. I'm going to bet. I, I think the Seahawks are going to win that one, but it's going to go very, very late. And I'm not going to waste anyone's time. Of course, Seattle are winning this luckiest team in the NFL. Right, game six. <laughs> three and three Eagles. And, um, oh, yeah, yes, at the three one. and three Cowboys. And who's stanking up the Two place Two teams the in most? crisis. Yeah. <laughs> well... The conventional wisdom on this says home field advantage should come into play. Now, it's interesting. I'm looking at the pigskin pick'em uh, stats at the moment. Now, if you look at it, it's the closest game out the whole week. And it's currently being picked. And I kid you not, Philadelphia Eagles, 49.96% against the Dallas Cowboys, 50.04%. Now, that, that is pretty incredible stuff uh, when you look at it. It is the right down the absolute middle game. I'm going to take the Eagles on the road for this one. I may well, when it comes to my pigskin pick them, go for the Cowboys, so I'm getting a point in some league because it is almost impossible to call. But here, I'll take the Eagles. This game, for me, is who's under the most pressure. And... The Eagles don't have an owner who chirps every week on the radio. The Cowboys do, and some would say that Jason Garrett's got the safest job in football, apart from Bill Belichick. But I think that the Cowboys are feeling the heat, and this this is not going to be a game that's necessarily Ezekiel Elliott's going to be able to win because it's difficult to run in the Eagles. I just think that ultimately Dak Prescott against Carson Wentz, who would you put your money on? I would put my money on Carson Wentz. So I'm going to go for the Eagles on the road as well. You realise the two of you have pretty much copied each other other for what, other than one game. Anyway, yeah, well, you do that all the time. Yes. <laughs> Interesting strategy, Charles. Interesting strategy. Copy Paul, who's at the top. That's a good idea, actually. That's a good idea. I'm, I'm at the bottom. There are worse ideas. So I... Do you know what? I'm struggling to pick a winner in this one as well. Because it's home field advantage, I think it's the Cowboys. Just purely because the noise that they can make there. I think that Ezekiel Elliott... There's question marks over Amari Cooper, of course, because he's got his bruised thigh quad... Uh, which apparently is very, very painful. Never had one. Can't comment. Uh, but I think that the Cowboys are under pressure, and sometimes they can do really well when they're in that position. When they're backed into a corner, they've got something to prove, they come back and do it. This is a grudge match. This will be a noisy, noisy AT&T. But I think that the Cowboys come away with the win. Uh, and can I just finish, because I know we're pushed for time, can I just finish by telling you, on the pigskin pick'em, 
we talked about that is as good a 50-50 split as you're going to get. Did you know that 5.37% of the people picking think the Redskins will win at home against the 49ers? 4.56% of the people think that the Jets will upset the Patriots in the Monday night game. But this, this guys, is my favourite stat. Somehow, 2.12% of people think the Dolphins are going to beat the Bills. <laughs> I have to say, I think the Jets the Jets will run New England close. Actually, I do, I do as well. Because Sam Donald's yeah. back and... I think they're a totally different team. It's still in New England should win the game, but yeah, the Dolphins, listen, I think if we cobbled together an NFL Scotland select, we would have a chance of beating the Dolphins at the moment, honestly. <laughs> I'm not I'm not signing up for that. We'd get moolered. Well, um, we know that you're an excellent offensive lineman, Cam. So. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll play behind Cameron and we'll get Ian in there as well and we'll be absolutely fine. <laughs> right, quick update then on the McBookie pick-up competition that we're running. We've got someone out top, uh, Max Reed, 1999 with 61 points. In second place at the moment, we've got Reluctant Hero with 60 points. Then we've got five people, no, four people, I can't count, four people tied for third, Aberdeen Goose, Chimp, uh, Cabras. Uh, I need to practice that name, Drew Breeze Bowling Goalie and Spain, all with 59. I'm not too far away, I'm in 27th with 55, and I've just scanned through the uh, the first page off the the whole thing. So we're talking the first 50 and I can't see anyone else from the podcast. So well, well I would like to point out that I, my week three predictions didn't take. So I'm actually a week out because I got no points that week. Um, You're still ahead of me though. So that sounds like that, a week out to me, to be perfectly honest. That's uh, uh, Week one, I had 10 week two, I had nine. So even, you know, weeks, I mean, my worst week has been six. So I, I would be closer if uh, I had anyway. And the other this Thursday night football, I keep forgetting there's Thursday night football for pigskin picking moments. So do I. Driving right. me nuts. I've lost, I think, three or four points simply because a lot of these games have been one-sided. Anyway, can I leave the last word yes. on the on the podcast to my good friend Cam Jordan from the New Orleans Saints when he was talking about the referees? Keep your apologies. Where are the repercussions? I'm off to Foot Locker. <laughs> Right. Well, that concludes everything then for episode 60 at 60, 71. Keep your feedback coming and make sure that you follow us on Twitter at Scotland NFL and on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash Scotland NFL. Please keep sharing the podcast with your NFL friends. Give us a review on iTunes if you can. That would be fantastic. And keep interacting on Twitter and Facebook. Keep giving us your nominations for our weekly awards. There have been some cracking suggestions so far and we love reading them. Charles, thanks for joining us on the podcast this week. It's been great to have you to hear all about what was happening at the Spurs Stadium. Remember to make your selections in our McBookie's Pick'em competition. Enjoy week seven. We'll be back next week to pick apart all the highlights. But until then, bye for now. <laughs>